all started with an invitation. There I was in January of, okay, what year was it? 1988. Second semester of my sophomore year at Palm Beach Atlantic College. And I was excited because I got to be a part of the campus ministry team. I thought I had arrived. Probably a little bit too much ego in that, but nonetheless, that was there. And I walked in for my, I think it was a work-study program as well, uh, into the campus ministry's office at PBA and stopped dead in my tracks. Because there was a young lady behind that desk I did not know. I had not seen her before. She was new to me. She was cute to me. I was a nerd to me. And this was not going to go well. I actually, after I recovered from the initial shock of something unusual in my little environment, I went about doing whatever it was I had to do and promptly did not speak to her for at least two or three days when we were in the office together. She was the receptionist there, um, and everybody that came in, she would speak to. And she may have even said hi to me, and I probably just quickly diverted my eyes and went away. Um, I don't know. It just was those things, until finally, at one point, we had to speak to each other. I don't remember why. It took everything within me to ask her, probably for a pen or something from the desk, and I did, and she gave it to me, and I went, oh, that went well. Well, over the course of a few more weeks, as time went on, I was enjoyable talking to her. I actually got over my initial whatever it was, fear, shyness. I don't know, and we had regular conversations just about life, the universe, and everything, and all that sort of thing. And then the big event of the spring semester at Palm Beach Atlantic was coming up, the spring banquet. And as is traditional at most institutions, it is not unusual to invite someone to attend said banquet with you. And I thought to myself, I said, self, do you think? that that person in the campus ministry's office, if you were to ask her to go to said banquet, she might say yes. And myself said no, but you should ask her more. And so one day in the cafeteria, as we were sitting around in my passive-aggressive way that has served me well these 47 years, I said, so have you heard about the spring banquet? Like, you know, it was news. Nobody ever knew we were having a spring banquet. Signs everywhere, announcements all over the place. Get your tickets now. And, of course, she said, oh, yeah, I've heard about it. In fact, I'm going. You are? Well, well that'll be fun. I said, are you going? She said, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. I said, well, I I'm going. In fact, uh, I'm going with a, a beautiful blonde. Obviously, wasn't me she was talking about, and my heart sunk a little bit more. Oh, well, I'm sure you'll have a nice time. In fact, she's sitting right beside me, her sister Heather. <laughs> and I went, oh, okay. She said, but would you like to go with me? How do you answer that, really? I did say yes, and as they say, the rest is sort of 
history and future and all those other things. But, you know, in that moment, that invitation changed a lot of stuff in my life. And I bet if you think about it, there are many significant events in your life that have been changed by an invitation. Because somebody asked you to consider something. Maybe it's not as positive, you might say, as a relationship that that led to marriage and family. Maybe it's on the negative side that there was an invitation that, as you look back at it, set some things in your life on the wrong path. And as you think about that, you had to recover from that. It wasn't the most positive thing. But many significant events in our lives hinge on that moment of decision that comes from an invitation. I want to talk to you about that today because we started last week as the first Sunday of the new year, really going back over the basics of our church's mission statement. We said, what do we exist for as a church? And we looked at it in three parts, that that people would come to know Christ, that people would become like Christ, and that we as a church would make Christ known, and that we as individuals would know Christ and become more like Christ and in turn make Christ known. Did you know, and I've said this before, so if you've been around here a while, you probably have heard that we live in this wonderful place, the Florida Keys, beautiful, amazing community we live in, that about 9 out of 10 people in our area are lost and or unchurched. 9 out of 10 people. Now, we come to a place like this, and today we've got a, a nice crowd of people here. You're just a lovely crowd. Give yourselves a hand. No, yeah, there you go. Wonderful. Good job. Thanks for coming to church, right? Woohoo! You're going to withhold judgment on that. I don't blame you. We're just getting warmed up. But, you know, we have these things. We think, well, surely everybody goes to church. And you know why that is? Because if you're like me, you're probably surrounded most of your relationships by people who go to church. And the ways that we kind of build those relationships, the friendships and that sort of thing, we are probably, for the most part, spending most of our time with other people who go to church. And it's easy to forget, because we're kind of insulated by that, that we live in a part of the world where by far the majority of the people that we run into day after day don't come to church. In fact, if they were to come to church, this would be a weird place for them. Have you thought about that, how odd church is to people that aren't used to church? We in churches kind of have our own culture, we have our own way of doing things, we do things that, that we know we, we can understand, we know certain orders of service and certain things, like when you're supposed to stand up and when you're supposed to sit down. When I grew up, you remember the bulletins that had the asterisk in them? Anybody else? The asterisk, and there was a little note at the bottom, congregation, please stand. And that was our sort of the earliest seeker-friendly way of doing church, that we would put an asterisk in there, and everybody would know, and the, when you get to that thing with the asterisk, you're supposed to stand up. And if you've ever been maybe in some more liturgical churches, there is really a lot of aerobics that happens in the course of a service. You're standing, you're sitting, you're kneeling, you're standing, you're kneeling, you're standing, you're sitting, you're standing. I mean, it's just like, wow, where is Richard Simmons at the front? Because we're just moving and shaking. Okay, maybe that's not the right person there. But, you know, and, and if you're not familiar with it, you don't know when and where and how to do that stuff, and you might feel a little left out. We do things, most churches do things like we did for the a large part of the First Baptist Church, we sing. Have you thought, if you're not a church person, how weird singing at church might be? 
say this was your first time walking into church. And maybe for some of you it is. And these might be the thoughts running through your head. I don't know. And you come into church, and the people get up with the band, and you go, oh, look, it's a concert. Now, some churches are really elaborate. They have light that, that work and different, you know, fog machines. And it, it looks a lot like a concert. People are like, wow, it's like a concert. And then everybody starts saying Then they put words on the screen. You go, no, it's not a concert. It's karaoke. I didn't know I was going to a karaoke place. I love karaoke. And then you're singing, and over here you're looking and you go, hey, that guy over there has a question. Can you just ask questions during singing? What's up with that? Oh, and that person in the back has two questions. All normal. If you're a church person, if you kind of come to a church, and, and even in some churches, that's frowned upon. You know, it's, okay, this is about as high as we go here, and whatever it is. But, you know, it just, it's a different world. This place I so affectionately call church world. And here we are, as this church, located in the middle of an area with about 10, 12, 15,000 people, depending on how you want to draw the line. And if 9 out of 10 of the Twelve to 15,000 people in our area are not believers, are unchurched. How many people is that? I'm no really good at math. It's a lot. That's a good answer. A lot of people. And so, as we think about our mission statement, those three prongs of it, to know Christ, to become like Christ, and to make Christ known, I want to suggest to you, we have a huge opportunity in this part of the world where God has put this church, where God has put you to reach out and to penetrate into our community and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Nine out of the ten of the people you're going to run into don't know Christ, don't have a relationship with Him. The fields, as Jesus would say, are white and they're full. And then there's that that we've talked about as well between the church world and the outside of the church world. And the tension often manifests itself in how we go about doing the things that we do. And so today I, I want to borrow two lines from two churches that do a great job of reaching people. One of them is Saddleback Valley Community Church, Rick Warren. He did 40 Days in the Word last year. One of his things that he says, and I like this and it makes a lot of sense, he says, the church is the only organization in the world that exists for those who are not yet members. And he says that certainly because it's catchy, but as a reminder to his congregation, this growing, thriving congregation of, I don't know, 10,000, 20,000 people probably by now with all their satellites, that we exist because there are people all around us that desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And if we will take that mindset, we will recognize that we exist to try to make opportunities for them to hear what we know and even what we take for granted. Another church a little closer to home is North, North Point Community Church, Andy Spaniel, pastor there. Most of you know his dad, Charles Stanley, in First Baptist Atlanta. He started as a 
a small offshoot of First Atlanta until he started his own work called North Point. And he says their goal as a church is to build churches that unchurched people love to attend. And they have done it. It's a remarkable thing. In fact, he, he talks about every year, I don't know if he still does it, he used to just about every year, he would give his please go away message which is a weird message to give in a church. And this is what he says. The basic part of the message is, look, I want you to know as North Point, we exist to be the kind of a church that unchurched people love to go to. So if you're here and you're a church person, you just think our church is better than your church, please leave. Because we didn't make this church for you. Just because you like our music better, you like this better, you think we do that better, that's not why we're here. And if you're just going to come and say, take up space, we don't have the money to build more space and provide more seats. We're after the people who are unchurched. Isn't that a crazy saying? And he kept his job. But he's built that culture into that church that they're always looking how we can be the kind of people as a church that unchurched people love to attend. I know there's a, a whole spectrum of churches across our, our country, across our state, even, even in our, our little town. You know how many churches are in Key Largo? Holy cow, there's a bunch of churches. Even a Hindu one. There's a bunch of them, and they're all different, and they're little different shades of, of this and that and the other, and, and for what it's worth, that, that's good. But, but I, I think what I've seen, I've been here 16 and a half years. Unfortunately, this is the part that, that sometimes I look back on and go, oh, that's, that's not how church world should work. We have been fishing in each other's aquarium. This is like one of my pet peeves, I've got to say. Everywhere I go, I hear church advertising. You know what church advertising boils down to in a lot of places? My church is better than the church you attend, so come to my church. It's true. I mean, I've heard it all over the country in places you would think church advertising wouldn't be a big deal. In fact, I've listened to local radio stations out of Miami, which is as local as we get, and I've heard in certain commercial breaks there'll be two or three churches advertising one after the other, and they all have the basically, our, we have... We have exciting music. By implication, everybody else's music is boring. And we have relevant preaching because everybody else's is irrelevant. We have friendly people because all of the churches are mean and rude and hateful. And apparently, a lot of times they even use the superlative suffix EST. We have the most excitingest. They don't really say that. I just added that because I said EST and I had to do it. We have the the most spectacular. We have the whatever it is. Right? And then the next one will have the most too. And you're thinking, which one is it? I'm confused. There are three amazing churches in Miami. I don't know which one to go to because they're all the best. And here's what I think. I think if, let's say I'm a, a non-believing person. I'm not a Christian. And I turn on the radio and I stop there and I hear, First Baptist Church of Key Largo wants you to know we're the best church in town. You know what I think? that mean? We're the best at taking money from people? What do people think about church? Isn't that one of them? That's one of them. We have the most exciting music. They're probably thinking, I don't think we can make the organ exciting. Because a lot of people, that's what they think of when they think of church. Don't get me wrong, I think we can make the organ very exciting. But I'm a church person. What do I know? We have 
practical Bible teaching. The people who think the Bible is a 2,800-year-old book that's so outdated and ridiculous. How can anything in it be practical? I don't know if those are their exact thoughts, but I actually think on some level, those are the filters through which a lot of people that don't go to church hear the things that we say sometimes when we're talking about church. And I don't think it sticks. I don't think it hits home. But let me be clear. You know, I said that all starts with an invitation. And you've probably already figured out where I'm going to end up probably pretty soon is that I'm going to encourage you to invite people to church. But here's what you need to know before I get there. The goal is not to invite people to church. I want you to invite people to church, but the goal is not to invite people to church. Does that make sense? Perfectly clear, right? The goal is that people will know Christ, become like Christ, and one day make Christ. And that's the goal. We're, we want to ultimately get people in connection with their Heavenly Father who loved them enough to send His one and only Son, Jesus, to die on the cross for their sin, to rise from the grave, and to give them the opportunity through faith in Him to have eternal life in heaven forever. That's the goal. That's the ultimate end. That's how we describe it in those three steps. But I'm going to encourage you to invite people to church. Before we get to the why, let's look at a verse of Scripture. It's in Acts chapter 15. I think it is Andy Stanley who called Acts chapter 15 the first church business meeting. Isn't this exciting? We're going to look at the minutes of a church business meeting. Oh, we're packing them in now. In Acts chapter 15, the earliest leaders of the church get together because there's some tension. And at at the core of the tension is what do we do with Gentiles, non-Jewish people, coming in that want to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ? What What do they have to do to believe and to practice this faith that we're propagating all over the world? And some people thought, to really be a Christian, you have to become Jewish first. And for a Gentile, a non-Jewish person, to enter the church because Jesus was Jewish and his first disciples were Jewish and it was centered in the headquarters of Judaism in Jerusalem, what you really needed to do was be Jewish, which is a tough sell for adult men. Just saying. But that was something that was on the table. That was required, along with some other things. And they debated it. They had a, basically an argument about these sorts of things, what needed to be done, what needed to be required. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 19, sort of one of the principles that they based their ultimate decision on is discussed. And it's, it's given by James, the brother of Jesus, one of the leaders of that earliest church. And he says in Acts 15, 19, It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles are turning to God. It is my judgment, therefore, James says, that with all of this that we've talked about, as we see these criteria and these steps they have to take and these hurdles they have to jump through, we should not make it difficult for those who want to turn to Christ, those who want to come out of a pagan, heathen background, those who were far from God, not only by their by their practice and their theology, but also just by their their genetics, they were not Jewish, that we want to make it as easy as possible. We don't want to make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. And I think one of the things that maybe makes a lot of sense to me is to try to follow 
that principle. How can we not make it difficult for people who want to turn to God? Now, now there are some things we can't erase. Obviously, faith in Christ, repentance, salvation, those are non-negotiable parts. We can't kind of white out some of that stuff to make it easier. Like, oh, you don't have to really believe in Jesus, just sort of. No, we can't do that. Jesus is the Son of God, the Word made flesh. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about those layers of things that sometimes we put around that that people have to get through to get to the core truth of who is Jesus. Which brings me to why I want to encourage you to invite people to church. Because here's what I found. How many of you had guests for Christmas or for the holidays in your home? How many of you decided to clean your home before they came? Anyone? How many of you did extra beyond the ordinary every Saturday afternoon cleaning because guests were coming to your house? Anyone? How many of you asked your wife to do extra beyond Saturday afternoon cleaning because guests, right? Oh, Oh, the family's coming. we got to do this. we got to get this room ready. That room that was just storage and all the stuff is piled on the bed and we just got to clean it up. we gotta make, we got to we gotta find sheets. Do we have sheets that size? Oh, somebody's got to go to the store and buy sheets for this bed. And on and on. And you get it all ready and they come in and it's like, oh. But then you have to cook and clean and all. It's just, oh, company is tough, isn't it? But you look at things differently. You see things when company's coming that you didn't see when it was just you and your house. We have a, in, in the, between the kitchen and the dining area, a big island. Um, I think it's an island. Usually it's just books and papers and stuff. But when people are coming, it's amazing. That stuff goes away. It goes out of there. It's magic. It disappears. Because, you know, we're going to use that place. You know, it's presentable. And we dust. Not that we don't dust regularly, but you get the point. You know, the same thing happens. I would guess when you are encouraged to invite somebody to church, I bet. Let's say you decided I'm going to invite somebody to church next week. Great decision. Proud of you. I would guess sometime between now and next week, you would have a variety of thoughts. You might have thoughts like, you know, I really hope the pastor preaches a good sermon. Because sometimes he's really mean. And if he's not, you know, I mean, sometimes he can be really, really boring. And sometimes he's maybe a little funnier. I hope he's more funny this week. How do I know? Can I call him and ask him, Pastor, be funny? Is that okay? You might think that. You might think, oh, I wonder what they're going to sing. Oh, I hope they sing my favorite song. They really do a great job on that song. I hope they sing that one. might wonder, I wonder how long the pastor's going to preach. Sometimes he kind of keeps going and going and going. Maybe he'll finish on time. What is on time? What is truth? I don't know. Okay. Nonetheless. Amen, brother. Maybe you'll think about different things. Like maybe you'll say, oh, I want to invite him to my Bible study. And then you think, oh, but the room that we're in for Bible study, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of the table. There's those 
things that are in there? What? I don't even know what they are. They're like big cardboard castle things. What are those things? Why are they even in there? And we've got a TV that was out of, like, 1925. Oh, I hope they don't show a video on that thing. That would be awful because the DVD player is like a kid's DVD player with buttons the size of Texas. That would be embarrassing if, if the teacher's pushing. Oh, maybe I won't invite him to church. You might think those things. You might look at things differently, yes? And, and here's what church growth experts say, and it makes a lot of sense. They say the people that regularly invite other people to church are the best complainers you can have. You know why? Because they see things through the eyes of somebody who doesn't come to the church. They see things differently. They notice things that, you know, those of us who are here in and out two, three times a week, maybe we come on Sunday, maybe we come back for youth group, maybe we come back on Wednesday night. They see the stuff that we've seen a hundred times that we don't think about. I'm not going to point anything out. But I was walking through, and I said, yeah, they might see that. And yeah, they might see that. The people that, that invite other people to church, they complain about the right things. Because they're looking at things through the eyes of those who are far from God. And they say, I don't want anything to get between them and what God might want to do in their life through being part of this worship service or this Bible study group or this activity that we do. So if you want to be a complainer, you need to get out. Is that incentive enough? That when we are purposeful, maybe that was intentional with my word from last week, when we are intentional about the things we do, when we think about the 9 out of 10 people in our community that you run into on a regular basis that are not believers, that do not attend church, that have no thought of God, when you think about how can I invite them to take one step toward a God that maybe in their life right now they don't even think matters, begin to process things about that place you're going to invite them to a little differently. And that helps us as leaders of the church process things that are important and prioritize things that might have otherwise sort of gotten pushed to the side. And ultimately, here's, I guess, the way we could wrap it up. We don't know what's at stake when we issue a simple invitation to somebody. We don't know what hangs in the balance for that person's life. We don't truly understand what God may be about to do in their lives or in ours because we took the chance maybe even made ourselves a little bit uncomfortable and did something like invite somebody to church. I want to close with this story. Several months ago, we 
had someone that came and, and visited our church, was in the area for a short period of time, and came. And it happens a lot. Um, young adult in the area visited a lot of times. You know, they come and for once or twice, and then they, they move on, or you know, maybe whatever the case is. Well, this, this individual kept returning the whole time that they were in town. Every, every Sunday, they were here. And, and it was kind of neat to think, okay, well, that's kind of cool. And, and not just came to, to church, but joined a small group Bible study afterwards and built some relationships, and it was, it was very cool. But was a, a relatively quiet individual until the last Sunday they were here. And if you were in that class, you may remember when we were about ready to wrap it up, we were about ready to go, and this person says, I have to say something. I haven't said something the whole time I'm here, but I have to say something. And with tears in her eyes, expressed her gratitude for some of the people that are sitting out there for being kind and gracious and showing her the kind of family a church could be. And she went home determined to find that kind of family. Now, we're not the perfect church. Don't hear me say that. That's not like my, hey, if you're considering church, come to us because we're wonderful. We'll make you nice. Maybe have today. Who knows? Just give us time. That's not my point at all. But my point was, who knew on that first Sunday when somebody went up to that individual and invited them to stick around for a few minutes for a small group, what difference that would make? And who knew what difference it would make when one of the other people in that group offered something as simple as, hey, I know you're new in town. If you'd like, you know, somebody to hang out with or need to call somebody, here's my number. Give me a call. Or whatever else happened over the course of the several weeks that that individual was here. I don't know everything that happened. That's the beautiful thing. It was the church, the people of the church, just kind of doing the people of the church thing, loving on somebody, caring for them, ministering to them, and making an impact. God's people, saved by His grace, can look around us at incredible opportunity. The fields that are right on the harvest and be willing to take that risk, even if it makes us uncomfortable. Not just to get somebody to church, because that's not the goal. God who loved them enough to send Jesus to die on the cross. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can turn to a God who has gone to such incredible lengths to demonstrate his love for us. That you sent your one and only Son while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Lord, I thank you that as we talked about last week, that you've entrusted to us the privilege to share the good news of your Son. That we can know you. 
that we can become more like you, that we can make you known to this world. And, and Lord, we thank you today that you have placed this church in this community where there are so many who need to know the life and salvation that you are. So Lord, I pray you'll use us as your people to penetrate into our community, to find ways, to find avenues to reach out and to help people take that first step back toward you or toward you for the first time. To be willing to offer the invitation to make an ultimate and eternal difference in someone's life. God, we come now to our time of response. And, and as we talked about last week, Lord, I pray that you'll just remind us of that individual that you want us in the next several weeks, even over this year, to find that opportunity to, to make the invitation. Whether it be to come to a, a worship service, whether it be to join us in a small group Bible study, or maybe it's a more personal. Hey, let's have coffee and talk about the important things of life. God, use us as your people to spread the good news of your gospel, the good news of Jesus. For we pray these things in his name.